This morning we're finishing up uh, chapter 15, but we're also going into chapter 16. It's a kind of a bigger text. Um, Thematically, it all kind of fits together, so uh, be patient with that. Um, It's picking up in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning." I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Let's pray. Father, there are times when we can struggle with your word, just like the Israelites did. In our hearts, we long to hear peace, peace. We long to hear all is well. Help us to hear some hard truth this morning. Jesus is preparing his people for life without his physical presence in the midst of a world that loves the darkness because its deeds are evil. Many of our brothers and sisters live like this, and soon we may too. And so give us ears to hear. Prepare us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. By now, most of you, if you've been paying any attention whatsoever uh, to what's going on in our world, have heard the name Kim Davis. And hearing that name, you may have any number of reactions about Kim Davis. And what I'm hoping to do this morning is, I'm not here to talk about the politics, about it all. I'm not here to debate the theology of her views. What I want us to focus on, instead of those kinds of issues, is more the response of those who disagree with her, (laughs) 
and her view with regard to biblical marriage. I, for better or for worse, on Facebook, have a number of friends who do not share my faith. And it's shocking and saddening to see the amount of vitriol, the amount of hatred that is expressed towards this woman for holding the same view that has been held for thousands of years and indeed was recently held by the politicians who now perpetuate or propagate a very different view. What I want to focus on is how she is being looked at and treated by an unbelieving world with an eye towards seeing how we should expect to be treated by an unbelieving world. Because that is what Jesus is talking about. He's shifting his discourse from how they were to live amongst one another where they're characterized by love to now their relationship with a world that disagrees with them. And he's not going to focus so much on what how they are to treat the world, but warning them about how the world will treat them. And it will be in stark contrast to how they treat one another. And so our big idea this morning is that Christ prepares his people to witness to an angry world. And the word remember comes up two times in this, the beginning and near the beginning and near the end of this. And so there's a theme that's there for us to remember just as they, the original audience of this, was to remember. And we are to remember that we are being treated like Christ. That just as the Father treats us like the Son, the world, in a similar way, but in a very different way, will treat us like the Son. He says, if, okay, now there are times and there are places where the gospel has made such headway within a particular culture that, that they receive the word of Christ and they receive the message of, uh, you know, the church. And so they don't experience hardship, but the, the gospel makes progress within that culture and has a strong influence within that culture. And I do not believe that there was such a thing as Christian America, but I do believe that the gospel had a profound influence in this country for a long time. That those are, you know, makes like, sounds like I'm saying the same thing, but I'm not uh, saying the same thing. And as we, we encounter a culture that is increasingly less influenced by the gospel, we're going to experience more of what the disciples experienced. Okay? All things being equal. So that if, if they hate you, Jesus says, it has hated me before it hated you. He reminds them that they, the world responded to him in a particular way. And so they should not think that their experience is new or novel. They need to remember what happened to Jesus. Now, we want peace. We're not speaking to in a, in a, out of hate for the world, or we shouldn't be. We'll get to that in a little bit. But 
we will necessarily draw their ire, their anger, their hatred. We're hated, or the disciples were hated, in part because they were no longer part of the world. Now let's remember, Jesus said, I chose you out of the world. This reminds us, Ephesians chapter 2 says, you know, you lived at one time just like they did. You too were under the power of the evil one. You too were dead in trespasses and sins, but God made you alive in Christ Jesus. And so the only reason that we're not part of the world is because of God's prior action in redeeming us and pulling us, calling us out of the world. So we don't have, or we shouldn't have, a sense of superiority with respect to the world because apart from the grace of God, we'd still be there. Okay? But Jesus has chosen us out of the world. And since we no longer belong to the world, we no longer share all of their values. Which means that there will be Conflict over values. This should not surprise us. What disappoints me in some respect is when I hear Christians saying, well, we shouldn't force our morality on the world. Well, wait a minute. Aren't they forcing their morality on us, okay. Now I don't. I'm not trying to say we got to cram things down their throat. Okay, the whole context of what I'm going to say here, but there's going to necessarily be a struggle as to which values need to be embraced by the citizens of any particular community. Okay, there's going to be a struggle and conflict as they try to work that out. In what way this is all going to sort of play out? In the world, or sorry, the pluralistic world, is it a very inconsistent sort of worldview as we can see by how it tends to treat dissent? They talk about tolerance, which is good. But then when someone disagrees, they're very intolerant. We can see this by the response to Kim Davis. But this has been going on since the beginning of time. In Genesis, we read about it, and John clarifies the issue for us in 1 John chapter 3. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers that the world hates you. And so part of what is intended to take place is that as we live in a way consistent with how God has commanded us to live, we will draw the hatred and anger of the world because it reveals their unrighteousness. That's what's supposed to happen. That's what happened with Cain and Abel. And that's what we see happening in many ways now. Jesus continues, and here's the remember. Remember what I said to you. 
a servant is not greater than his master. Now, Jesus, we, we saw that in Matthew 10 from the reading that we had this morning. But in John's gospel, we saw it in chapter 13, verse 16. There, the context was servanthood, service. And Jesus, who was willing to humble himself and wash the feet of his disciples, was meant to be an example to them. You're not greater than me. You should be washing each other's feet. And here he applies it to persecution. Just as you should not think you're above serving one another, so you should not think you're above suffering for me. We should not think that we are exempt from hardship and suffering for Jesus' name. We we shouldn't think that we are exempt from experiencing hatred because of Jesus' name. Just as they have hated Him, they will hate us if we're faithful to Him. That's hard to say. I don't like saying this, but the Scriptures say this, and we need to listen. We need to hear these hard words. They will run after us. That's that word persecution. They'll run after us with hostility, not to shake our hands, (laughs) but to chase us away much like how Paul was often chased out of one city into another city. Okay? But they run after us, as Jesus says, on account of my name. It's not because of us, it's because of him. Uh, Patriots quarterback uh, Tom Brady had his first interview um, after the, the judge made his ruling. And they were talking, they were trying to get him to talk about his feelings, uh, with regard to everything that happened over the last seven months. So it's not really about football people. For those of you who don't care about football, don't worry, right? And he mentioned a book, which, um, not a good book. Uh, it's called The Four Agreements. It's the wisdom of shamans, so. But I agree with this one aspect of this book, okay? And he says that he's tried to live by this book, and he, one of the things it says, it's not about you. Don't take it personally when people oppose you. And so when people are opposing us, we, we need to, or hating us, we need to not take it personally because who the, the one they're really hating is Jesus, and you're just in the way. Okay? Because you're united to him, You're in the way. Because they can't hit him, they may want to hit you or speak against you, slander you, harm you. Jesus continues further. He says that this response of theirs is not accidental, but instead it fulfills the law when it says, they hated me without cause. Three times in the Psalms it has this phrase. Psalm 35, verse 19. Psalm 69, verse 4, which we heard earlier in the worship service. And Psalm 109, verse 3. These three Psalms of David, and the idea of their law is not as though 
Jesus is distancing himself from the law, like, well, that's theirs and we have our own. But he's trying to get across that point of they, they have this law, they know this law, they're breaking this law because they're finding themselves in the place of those who hate without cause. And so he's connecting himself with David who wrote these songs. David, who was hated and persecuted without cause by Saul and many others. David was not hated because he had done something wrong, but his presence was threatening, particularly if you're a disobedient king like Saul. And you hear that Samuel has gone and anointed him to be king in the future. At some point, Saul had to hear that. But it was not David's fault. And so Saul, in a sense, is very much like Herod, who seek to destroy the infant Jesus. And so we see here that Jesus is the greater David. He's the fulfillment of the covenant made with David. He's the son who will sit upon David's throne forever. But again, We share in that. We share in His glory, but now we may also share in His sufferings, as Paul says in Romans 8. The bottom line for this is that a rebellious culture hates Jesus. And since we belong to Him, they will hate us. Think of it this way. Remember Jonathan Edwards' most famous sermon. If you're an English lit person, you've probably had to read it. Um, And uh, if you're a Reformed person, you've probably read it on your own because you wanted to read it. Of course, that famous sermon is, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Okay, Let's flip that up. Let's turn that around. God in the hands of angry sinners. That's what we see in this text. And because we're united to that God, we can also entitle this new book, The Church in the Hands of Angry Sinners. That's what's going on. So, where was I? When suffering comes, it is because they hate Jesus. And we receive it because we are in or united to Jesus. So secondly, the witness to Christ that we bear brings the world's anger. Why are they so angry? We talked about part of that, which is righteousness, when we have it, reveals their unrighteousness. But Jesus goes farther here and talks about his testimony about himself and the Father. And he makes some statements that could be, if we take them at face value as opposed to context, become very confusing. Okay, But he says that if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty. Now, he's not saying that they wouldn't be guilty of anything. He's talking about particular sins. Okay, Uh, the, The law is written on people's hearts, and when they break it, they're guilty. Okay? So it's not about an absolute freedom from guilt here, but he's talking about the particular thing. In rejecting that which he speaks, 
the additional revelation that Jesus gives about who He is and about the One who sent Him. Okay? They're guilty of rejecting His teaching and therefore His authority. He continues as well, if I had not done among them... So they're guilty of rejecting His teaching, but they're also guilty of rejecting the signs that He performed that authenticated His teaching. The signs that we have here in John's Gospel that reveal He is the Word of God who was with God and who was God, through whom everything that was created has been created. That's who they're rejecting. And because they're rejecting Him, their guilt is great. But they haven't just rejected Him. Jesus says they've also rejected the Father who sent Him. They don't know Jesus, and because they don't know Jesus, they don't know the Father. They think they know the Father. But they don't. And this kind of brings us back to the character of the world. John 3, for those who were here yesterday, we stopped before I got to this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Jesus is not only the sin-bearer, but he is the light of the world that reveals the secrets of men that they want kept secret. The one who reveals the holiness of God that necessarily then reveals the stains upon our own character. Jesus says that he sends the advocate the Comforter, the Helper, who comes to bear witness to me. And so we see that part of the Spirit's job is also to bear witness to Christ and to point people to Christ. And He motivates as well to, and also empowers the disciples who became the apostles to bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And so Jesus again reminds them of why they're here, why they have been called out, why they are made his people, and why he is giving them the Holy Spirit, and that is to bear witness to Jesus about what he has done to call people to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. Theirs is not the ministry of condemnation. They're not to walk around, even though this is true. You hate God, you're going to hell. That's not what they're called to say. They're called to say, come, eat bread you have not bought. Drink water that you have not bought. Come, be cleansed of your sins. Come and be known by God and know God. So the Spirit empowered them to do this. And and that's the whole point of the book of Acts, is to teach us exactly how that unfolded in history. And now the Spirit continues to work through Christians to bear testimony. He works in us. It's not like 
the apostles died and the Holy Spirit went back up to heaven and just chilling out right now. No, he still remains within the church, so the church continues to bear witness to Christ. The same kind of witness that the apostles bore. And when we do, sometimes they will grow angry with us. But I want to remind you that their anger should be a result of the gospel and not our own sin. I have a book in my library that plays on the title of Edward's Sermon in a different way. And it plays on it in this way. Sinners in the hands of an angry church. That's sad to read. <laughs> okay? That's not the way it's supposed to be. And if, if you want to think about what that title means, I have, I have two words for you. Westboro, Baptist. Okay? Because they're not offering the call to faith and repentance. They are simply issuing the call of condemnation. And that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We warn people about the condemnation that can come if they don't repent and believe, but we, we want to invite them in. And it's really hard when you have the angry scowl on your face. We have to be careful that their anger towards us is not met with anger from us toward them. It's very easy for us to do that because we sin. Because of the flesh. The fear of persecution should also not silence God's people precisely because the world needs to know the truth, but of course the truth spoken in love. And so we see that bearing faithful testimony to Christ about Christ may bring a price. That price might be anger. And hatred. Thirdly, remember Christ's word lest you fall away. Jesus is not just, I mean, he's preparing them for what's going to happen, okay? Um, you know, sort of like Amy and I, we've, we've kind of been, I think, preparing Eli a little bit for the surgery that's coming. He has questions, and so we speak to him about his surgery tomorrow because he's anxious about it. And Jesus' disciples hearing this were probably very anxious about this. And Jesus says, Remember, I said, to these things to, I said these things to you beforehand to keep you from falling away. And the word that is translated falling away is that one that we get scandal from. So that you don't become scandalized, might be another way of saying it. So that you don't become offended. So that you don't begin to lose trust in Jesus. That's what often happens in the midst of hardship, affliction. We can begin to lose our confidence and trust in Christ. Precisely because you and I, we hate to suffer. Who likes to suffer? How come my hand's the only hand in the air? Oh, wait a minute, I see Elena. She put her hand up. <laughs> no one likes to suffer. And when we suffer, our, our, our human tendency is to try and get out of that suffering as quickly as humanly possible. Okay? 
my mind immediately goes to Demas, who traveled with Paul and who abandoned Paul when Paul needed him most in prison. This morning I thought of it this way. For those of you who are familiar with the movie The Jerk, when Navin Johnson was working at the gas station, he did not know that there was a man who had decided to kill somebody and randomly found him in the phone book, the phone book he was so excited that his name was now in. So he identifies Navin Johnson, goes to where Navin Johnson lives, which is where he also works, the gas station, and begins to fire a rifle at him. He's not a very good shot. And so there's Navin wondering why all of these cans of oil have sprung leaks. And he looks and he sees a man who has a gun, and he goes, these cans, he hates these cans. And he runs away from the cans. Where Demas was sort of like, you know, David. Christ. They hate Christ. In this instance, they also hate Paul. I need to get away as far away as I possibly can so that doesn't happen to me. And so they're, Paul, Jesus recognizes the danger the disciples are in to try and run away to be scandalized by the fact that they're suffering. Jesus gets into some of the suffering. They will put you out of the synagogues. Okay, the, uh, the apostles and the early church lived that. They were put out of synagogues. If you wanted to know, look at the book of Acts. Look at some of the early chapter, chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation. Okay, the, the, the Christians were put out of the synagogues as heretics. Okay, we don't, you and I don't have to worry about being put out of the synagogues, do we? No. But what can we be put out of? We could be put out of the academy. We could be put out of, out of office, like some people are trying to do with Kim Davis. We could be put out of jobs. Think about what's happening around us. Kim Davis is not unique. Craig James, I've mentioned him before. He used to be a running back for the New England Patriots. He uh, was a commentator on college football, a very good commentator on college football, from what I understand. I don't watch college football much, so I don't know. I'm going by other people's testimony. Well, he took it some, he took a break. He ran for office. He ran for uh, Senate in uh, in Texas to be the U.S. Senator for Texas. He got hired by a, a Fox Sports affiliate to do college football commentary, and then a week later he was fired. Why? Because of comments he had made about traditional biblical marriage while he was a candidate for the Senate. Some words that he said before he even worked for Fox Sports. And so the national office said, oh, we don't want that around here. We, they fired him. Think of the Canadian law school. Got to get my Canadians back in. Okay. There's a Canadian law school that the, the bar is saying they will not accept people who graduate from that school because they don't toe the line on a worldly morality. Okay. That's the way it is. There are more examples of that. 
Jesus continues that whoever kills you may think that they are offering a service to God. We see this in the life of Saul before he became Paul. He was blind with hate. He was there consenting to the stoning of Stephen, and then he was authorized by the Sanhedrin to go and find more Christians and imprison them and perhaps kill them. We see in Philippians chapter 3, Paul describes this about himself. He's talking about how he would have confidence, more confidence than most people before God, if it was about the flesh, which it's not. But he says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, which means obedient to the the law of God. Of the people of Israel, I'm a true Israelite. Not only that, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, which was the only tribe that stuck by Judah during the great split that happened after Solomon died. Hebrew of Hebrews, you couldn't get more Hebrew than Paul. As to the law of Pharisee, among the, the strictest sects of Judaism. And then he says, as to zeal, persecutor of the church. He thought he was doing a service to God by killing those Christians. Let's not think that that ends. During the Reformation, part of the battle you know, was over who was the true church. And particularly in England, as it kind of seesawed back and forth, the church in England is a Protestant or is it Catholic? Is it Catholic? Is it Protestant? It went back and forth for quite some time. And when... When Hugh Latimer, no, sorry, not Hugh Latimer, Thomas Cramner was executed, they burned him at the stake, and before they burned him at the stake, they had a sermon (laughs) preaching about the dangers of heresy. You'll get what that guy's about to get. Okay, so some people can persecute the righteous thinking they're doing service to God. Fortunately, I guess, Our persecution is not coming from religious people. The Buddhists are not trying to round us up. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, maybe one day the Muslims will. I don't know what will happen. Um, But right now, ours is coming from secular people, people who want nothing to do with God. And because we have everything to do with God, we draw their ire. They think that that they are being a good patriot. That's the God they serve the state. You know? So just as Jesus said, remember these words, we see in 1 Peter 4, Peter saying something similar. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. We have to keep our eyes not on the present, for that would be so discouraging. But we need to keep our eyes on the end of the story. Okay, um, You need to be like my wife. As we mentioned in Sunday school, she reads the ends of most stories and then reads the book. Okay, God has given us the end of the story. Jesus wins. Jesus is going to be glorified. And so we're on his side. And we know it's going to end well, but we're still in the mess. We need to remember it will end well, lest we become overcome.
We should be glad now because we will be even more glad when His glory is revealed according to Peter. And so Jesus says to them, Remember that I told them to you, meaning these words to you. So God's people should not be surprised, but prepared for whatever may come. And so Jesus wants us to embrace this affliction for Him because we have this eternal inheritance, as I alluded to from Romans 8. Let's see how the early church did. Acts 5. Then they left the presence of the council. They had just been beaten. They left the presence of the council rejoicing. I always rejoice when I get a beating. If you want to see me rejoice, then beat me. right? But here they are. Because of their hope, they're rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, which is the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. In other words, the persecution and the opposition they received did not shut them up, but they kept going. Thousands continued to come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Similarly, in Hebrews chapter 10, we see in verse 34, For you had compassion on those in prison. And it's not talking about murderers and thieves and those kinds of people in prison. It's talking about people in prison for their faith. So you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. I've been robbed. I was not joyful. These people are joyful for the same reason The apostles were joyful. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, which is what is going to, uh, the writer of Hebrews goes through into chapter 11. The city whose architect and builder is God. A better city, an eternal city, a city filled with purity and not unrighteousness. And so as we, as we look at history, we see that though they were hated in the early church, God multiplied them such that by the time Jerusalem was destroyed one generation later, the, the church was covering the known world. It had even gotten into India. Okay. Down into Africa. Southern Europe. It was, it was starting to cover the world, and it wasn't in spite of the opposition. It was, in many ways, because of the opposition. Because they had a faith they believed it was worth dying for. And that became attractive to some. And so, what do we see now happening in places like China? a growth rate in the church, which is astounding, a church that's persecuted. So it would be easy for us who have known the seduction of the world, so to speak, the prosperity of the world in this country, the favor of the world in this country, to think that now experiencing the hatred of the world means the end of our world as we know it. And we can become filled with fear And we shouldn't. 
because His power is made perfect in our weakness. And the church grows most consistently and powerfully in the midst of opposition. So don't give up. Keep going. That's what Jesus wants us to remember. So, Kim Davis's experiences should not surprise us. Rather, they should prepare us for the probability of receiving expressions that our rebellious culture has for Christ and His authority. They can't get Him, so they might get us. This doesn't mean that we need to keep quiet, but it does mean that we need to rejoice in sharing in Christ's suffering and in the hope of the progress of the gospel in our culture once again. God's not done with this country. This may take a while. And some of you alive now may not see it. But that doesn't mean God is done. And certainly it's not all about this country. (laughs) We should rejoice in the progress it's making everywhere else too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Not for the hardship not for the ugliness that we might experience, but we thank you for the eternal hope we have in Jesus Christ, precisely because he he died for our sins and precisely because you raised him from the dead for our justification to make us right with you. And also that you brought you, he ascended into heaven where he sits now at your right hand to reign and rule and pour out the Spirit to enable us to testify to his greatness and his position as king of the world. Father, help us to cling to that hope, to cling to that truth when we do experience opposition, when we're tempted to be afraid, when we're tempted to think that this means Jesus is weak and powerless, when we're tempted to doubt the salvation we have. Remind us the words of Jesus. And we ask this in His name. Amen.